0: can God coexist with evil? The reason that people ask that question is because it seems like it is impossible. It seems like if God is who Christians say that He is, we shouldn't be seeing the level of evil and sadness and suffering that we see in the world, but we do. Uh, and as Sandy said, uh, I have been through uh, my own story of suffering, but I, I, I know that probably all of you have. Um, And there's only so long that you can live in the world without suffering touching you personally. I had a pretty good 25 years um, before we lost before Caitlin and I's first year of marriage, and I would have said that suffering was pretty pretty far away from me. But 2012 was a pretty shocking year. Um, So it doesn't take long. Eventually, it sounds a bit depressing, but suffering is coming for you in a way. So that's why this is such an important question to think about. I want to just start off right from the start by acknowledging the fact that this is going to be a bit of a philosophical discussion, but someone, I spoke to a friend of mine at school about it last week and they said, but you're going to be practical, aren't you? Well, yeah, I'm going to be practical. Philosophy that's impractical is a bit of a waste of time. It's just thinking about things that don't make any difference in your life. So my hope is that this can make a difference in your life. With all that being said though, the truth is that there's no easy answers, You'll know this if you've been through suffering. There's not some get out of jail free card that all of a sudden means that everything's okay. What I'm going to talk about this morning is not going to answer all of your questions. It's not going to remove your pain. It will not explain everything in a way that makes pain and suffering somehow less painful. What it might do, and what I hope that it does, is it it might make it more bearable. But the truth is that at the moment of pain, logic soothes very few people you have to be a particular kind of person for logic to do anything for you when you're in the middle of pain when you're in the middle of it the logical approach does not necessarily help but what it will do and what i want to do this morning is to address the question of whether god and evil can coexist so in order to do that there are two answers to the question that i'm going to aim to prove this morning that 's going to be my goal if I can prove to you these two things i 'll be happy. Number one, the question only makes sense if God exists, and number two, not only can he coexist with evil but he must. If I can get these two points across to you i 'll feel as though my job's done, and I can palm it off to Sunday next week um, this is This is a two part series and it 's really designed that you would see both parts if you don't come back next week. It's kind of like watching Lay Mis and walking out of the intermission. Just really depressing. There's no end, okay? There is an end and it's a great end. And the personal way that Sonny's going to talk about it next week, I really encourage you all to come along um, and witness. But I thought in doing this, probably the best way that I can do it is to get a very famous man who's got very good objections to Christianity to express the problem. So we're going to watch a video now with a guy called Stephen Fry. Everyone, people know who Stephen Fry is? Okay. He's kind of my favourite go-to guy for the other side, so I use him all the time here. But um, he expresses this question really well in an honest and uh, in, in a way that I think all of us can understand. So I'm going to let him say it and then we'll have a chat about it. Is it going to work? You want to just click that for me, Jace? what
1: Oscar believed Thanks. in as he died in spite of your protestations? I suppose it's all true. Mm. and you walk up to the prayer gates and you are confronted by God, what will Stephen Fry say to him, her, or it? I will basically, what's known as theodicy, I think, I'll say bone cancer in children? What's that about? How dare you? How dare you create a world in which there is such misery that is not our fault? It's not right. It's utterly, utterly evil. Why should I respect a capricious, mean-minded, stupid God, who creates a world which is so full of injustice and pain. That's what I'd say. And you think you're going to get in like No, that? but I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to get in on his terms. They're <coughs> wrong. Now, if I died and it was, it was Pluto, Hades, and if it was the 12 Greek gods, then I would have more trouble because the Greeks were, they didn't pretend not to be human in their appetites and in their capriciousness and in their unreasonableness. They didn't present themselves as being all-seeing, all-wise, all-kind, all-beneficent. Because the God who <coughs> created this universe, if it was created by God, is quite clearly a maniac, utter maniac, totally selfish, totally, we have to spend our life on our least, thanking Him. What kind of God would do that? Yes, the world is very splendid, but it also has in it insects whose whole life cycle is to burrow into the eyes of children and make them blind. They eat outwards from the eyes. Why? Why did you do that to us? You could easily have made a, a creation in which that didn't exist. It is simply not acceptable. So, you know, atheism is not just about not believing there is a is not believing there is a god, but on the assumption that there is one. What kind of god is he? It's perfectly apparent that he is monstrous. <coughs> Utterly monstrous and deserves no respect whatsoever. The moment you banish him, your life becomes simpler, purer, cleaner, more worth living, in my opinion. That sure is the longest answer to that question <laughs> that I ever got in this entire series.
0: Okay. Well, I think he expresses it pretty well. You agree? Maybe you're thinking I'm setting myself up for a fall by starting with this video, like oh now now you've got to prove this guy wrong and that was pretty convincing and it was pretty convincing, it was very convincing at an emotional level and emotional levels are completely okay to discuss but we also need to talk about what the logic is behind what he was just saying, okay? So his first statement is this, basically, a powerful and good God would not allow bad things to happen. That's statement one in the logical progression. Number two, bad things happen. We're both okay with these two, okay? So number three, therefore either God does not exist, God is not powerful or God is not good. They're the three options. Now, Stephen Fry is a humanist atheist which means he's gone for number one, God does not exist. And it's interesting that he threw in that little thing at the end there, on the basis that he does exist, he's a maniac. That's a little bit of a weird thing for an atheist to say um, because an atheist is saying God doesn't exist. So if he did exist and he was a maniac, well, that, that's not a good reason not to believe that he exists, okay? it's just so happens that he's not a very nice person, okay? Now, I want to just quickly cross off B from being an option for a second, okay? Because if God is not powerful, in other words, if God is not powerful enough to stop evil from happening, then that means that there is something that is more powerful than God, and that is the thing that is doing the evil call a chance or fate or if you want to say the devil or something like that that thing is more powerful than god and therefore god is god is subservient to that thing and i would say that then we just need to move our nouns around a little bit and call that thing god does that make sense the most powerful thing in existence is the thing that we should call god and do call god that's what we mean when we say god that's what everyone means when they say god they mean the most powerful thing this this being that is above all else. So, B really doesn't really make sense in the logic of things. It kind of redefines terms. So, we've got these other two options. God does not exist or God is not good. Okay. So, before we go any further, I just think, I, the best thing about YouTube is the comments, I think. So, I love going and reading all the comments. This video, by the way, is called Stephen Fry Annihilates God. So if I'm successful, today we'll be called Diff Annihilate Stephen Fry. And I don't know what that says about my relationship to God, I don't know. But I don't think he annihilated God at all, but uh, the atheists love it. So here's a couple of the comments that are there. Um, one person said, my respect for Stephen Fry just went through the roof. Um, while Stephen Fry does a good job of expressing it, I think that's something that everyone's thought about for a while. I don't think that that's a, that amazing to realize that there's sadness in the world and therefore kind of question God. So maybe this, I don't know, this guy just loves Stephen Fry really. Um, Next one, Stephen Fry shows a rational, honest and moral outlook on a creator of the universe. If there is a God, I have a million questions for him and I'm not a bit afraid to call him out for his sick and twisted ways. Not cool. Should have just made our minds unable to detect right from wrong. Okay? Okay. It's interesting okay just saying oh, I'm not leaving these hovering I'm going to cover them at the end and I'm hoping that by the time we get to the end you will already have the answers for them as well and then finally I was raised Catholic and have had doubts ever since I don't know if that's a combination between being raised Catholic or just had doubts about the fact that God exists it was on December 26 2004 that I finally called myself an atheist remember that day the tsunami that killed over 250,000 people that day to this day, there is not a single person on this earth that can remotely rationalize to me why a God that is supposed to be so loving and caring of all these people would allow this to happen. And if anyone tells me that God doesn't control things, then of what use is it to pray for anything? Prayer to me is nothing more than self-hypnotism. Okay. So, some interesting comments. We'll come back to them. Now, I just want to ask a question now. I, I said before and I do think that Stephen Fry's objection is a justifiable objection. I think that The problem of evil is probably the problem, the most difficult problem for Christians to deal with in an apologetic way. So, in order to defend what they believe, I think that evil is really tough. However, is it really that justifiable when we have a look at the logic of what he's saying? And unfortunately, everything that I talk about today is going to be about a logical approach. So, if you don't like that sort of thing, just bear with me and then Sondi will be much more nice next week. People don't really like it when we do, when, when I, well, a lot of people don't like it when I do this sort of thing to the language that they use but language is really important language is the way that we discuss what it is that we mean so stephen fry is saying the fact that evil exists is proof that god does not exist now any time you're having a logical discussion there's a very important thing you have to do right at the start all of my students know what it is it's define your terms you need to define what it is that you're actually talking about And he's got a really big term there that's undefined. It's not God, it's not exists, it's evil. What is evil? What is evil? What is this thing? And what I'm about to talk about is something called the moral argument for the existence of God. Okay. And basically the idea is that everyone in the world today has a fairly good idea and agrees with what is right and wrong. The easiest example, as shocking as it is, would be for me to say, is it ever okay for me to torture a baby? Is it ever okay under any situation? And obviously the answer to that is no, it's not. If everyone in the world can agree to this idea that it's never okay to torture a baby, then everyone in the world, for some reason, has this kind of agreement about what morality is. And the real question then is where did we get that idea from where do we get the idea of what's right and wrong for the majority of human history everyone said we got that idea from god from some sort of god it didn't really matter really what the religion was but we all knew that there was some sort of god some higher power that told us what was right and wrong but because of evolutionary atheism we now don't have a god to ask what's right and wrong And so we find ourselves asking a question, well, where do we get this idea from? So the best thing to do is to actually ask an atheist, maybe the best atheist or the best that the world's got to offer at the moment, Richard Dawkins. And this is what he says, the universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. He says at another time, we are just atoms colliding. All you are, according to evolutionary atheism, according to Stephen Fry, even though he's a humanist, is just a bunch of chemicals and atoms kind of hitting each other randomly. And when something happens, that's just atoms hitting each other. The preeminent atheist, Richard Dawkins, says there is no evil. So what is Stephen Fry talking about? What is Stephen Fry talking about when he says there's evil and therefore... There's no God. He's using terms that he shouldn't even believe in. Now, the easiest way to talk about this in another sense is to go to the father of atheism. You can go and um, have a listen to what Charles Darwin had to say. Everyone knows about On the Origin of Species. Everyone knows about that book. But then not many people know about The Descent of Man, which is the next one after that. He wrote that and it's not as popular and there's reasons it's not as popular. Because he applied all of the things about evolution to humanity. And he said, guess what? We're just animals right up the top of the food chain. We've gotten this far. We need to keep going. Evolution needs to continue. And what is one of the primary foundations of evolution? Survival of the fittest. The strong kill the weak. The more difference there is between um, people or, or animals of the same type that are the same, that are the same species, Okay, so um, two different types of monkeys, A monkey will try to kill and destroy the monkey closest, the the most similar to it because it eats the same things and it inhabits the same space. Whereas if there's monkeys that are really different, so you've got an orangutan and you get like a lemur or something, they're pretty happy to leave each other alone because they're so different. Now, he applies this shockingly to humanity where he predicts that white people will kill all of the black people in the world. This is what he says. He says, I foresee a future where... The European of course he's white, so that's where he's going with it, will conquer and destroy and eradicate all of the um humans which are closest to amorphous apes. And he has some terribly racist things to say. Now guess who picked up on this idea? Adolf Hitler. And Hitler did it. Hitler saw the weak as people being people that were going to prevent the next stage of evolution. Does that make sense? So we see what evolutionary thinking actually does. We've seen it. Friedrich Nietzsche, a a philosopher from Germany, said that we needed to do this. He declared himself the Antichrist and said that charity is a backwards idea. Why should we help people? If we have to help them, they deserve to die. Strong needs to survive in our modern world. He had this idea of the Ubermensch, the Superman. We need to become the new gods. And in order to do that, we need to destroy the people that are weak. That is the world that Stephen Fry believes in. But he doesn't, does he? He doesn't really. He doesn't really believe what he says he believes because he's going on about evil. And he technically has subscribed to a worldview in which evil does not even exist. So I could stop right now and I think I've won, but I'll keep going. (laughs) Because really the question is, when someone says that, what is evil, you need to have a foundation for where you're getting evil from. Nietzsche was a good, a- well, he wasn't a good atheist, but he was an honest atheist. He was an atheist that said there is no good and evil. Let's stop pretending. Dawkins and Hitchens and Stephen Fry these are atheists that want to have all the stuff of Christianity thrown in, but without the God. They want to have the morality of Christianity, but not the God to tell them what's right and wrong when they want to do their little things that they want to do. Anyway, let's move on. We'll come back to that, and you're going to see that idea popping up as we go. There are three different types of evil and suffering really, if you were going to um, divide it up into three sections. The first one is evil in nature, what we'll call natural disasters. The second one is evil in our bodies, sickness. And the third one is evil in humanity, maliciousness or evil that we do to each other. Um, And these three are different and so they need to be discussed differently. God has different... There's different implications for God for each one of them. So, number one, evil in nature. Okay this idea of natural disasters once again terminology is an interesting question to think about what do we mean when we say a natural disaster in a world with no creator in a world with no moral objectivity and in a world where nature is the thing that determines everything else remember for a humanist atheist nature is the great determiner it's what turned us into what we are nature is the most it's the only thing that there is is just atoms colliding. Okay? In this world, what exactly is this idea of a disaster, what does it really mean? I would contend, and I got this idea recently, I got to go over to uh, Oxford um, with a colleague of mine to listen to people talking about this stuff and this was one of the things that they talked about, there is no such thing as a natural disaster, there is just nature, just nature happening. What do we mean when we say it's a disaster? Well, what we mean is that people were there when it happened. That's when it turns into a disaster. Does that make sense? So a tsunami on an uninhabited island is majestic. It's beautiful. We would love it if someone was safe and, uh, safe and far enough away to be able to film it so that we could watch it. But all of a sudden, if there's people there, it's a disaster. So humanity is the determining factor to say whether or not something is a disaster there are no such thing as natural disasters if you don't believe in god there is just nature happening and for those people that believe in evolution well they believe that these natural events are the sorts of things that got them to be where they are in the first place we should be celebrating when nature does what nature does We should be excited about the fact that, well, what's a tsunami? It's an earthquake that happens over the ocean. And what's an earthquake? It's when the tectonic plates are moving. Those tectonic plates moving actually creates beauty. The Grand Canyon. That's an example of of earth moving around. Now, luckily, we assume it happened when no one was around and so no one got hurt. So now we can go and watch it. Not only do these natural events cause beauty, but they also sustain life as well. There's some studies that have been done recently that have proven that the tectonic plates moving have the chance to readjust um, the life cycles of some creatures. And if they don't have it, then they will eventually start to decline. But there's this kind of shifting and readjusting that the world is constantly doing, which actually sustains life. At an evolutionary stage, when you think about it, if there was no earthquakes... And remember, this is Stephen Fry's big hypothesis. God could have created a world which was different. Well, he doesn't believe in God, so really what he needs to do now is say, this is the world that we have. According to him, humanity only exists because of earthquakes. If he didn't want earthquakes, he wouldn't get people either, according to his logic. Does that make sense? He believes in a world in which humanity evolved because of all the things that nature was doing, the world was doing. And one of those things was earthquakes. What we realize is that natural disasters only become evil when people die if you can imagine an ice shelf if you've seen the movie the videos of those ice ice shelves collapsing it's amazing but if there was a person standing underneath there the whole thing would change wouldn't it in an instant it would go from being this amazing thing that you want to watch to something that you just want to stop from happening people are the determining factor the other thing i'll just throw out there as far as evil in nature goes is that poverty, corruption and injustice usually increase our susceptibility to natural disasters. In other words, if you have a look at all of the natural disasters that have happened maybe in the last 20, 30, 40 years and have a look at where they've been and had a look at the magnitude of them and then seen what the death toll has been, it's usually far higher in places with corruption, poverty and injustice. Think about Haiti, when you've got a whole bunch of people, or just recently Nepal, living on top of each other in buildings that are just not designed to have any kind of shock or tremor happen to them, then the slightest thing is going to cause mass disaster. So what that means really is that the evil in nature is increased by the evil in us. We are not responsible for the event but sometimes humanity does contribute to the evil effects of the event. Okay, Number two, evil in our bodies. I think this is the hardest one to deal with. Um, I don't know, I've never met anyone that's kind of experienced all three at a really dramatic level. Evil committed by someone else against them, evil in nature and, and sickness. But I think sickness would have to be the most difficult one to handle personally. What we're saying when we talk about the evil in our bodies is we're discussing the fact that the human body is organic. It lives and it dies. And when we rail against sickness, what we're really angry about is the fact that people die. We're we're angry about the fact that death exists. And this is really the real question. Why do we have to die? Why do we have this kind of body that decays? Does this existence does the existence of this kind of evil disprove god's existence remember that's really the question that we need to continually ask do any of these things disprove god's existence not are they hard to handle yes they are not do we ask big questions when they come at us no that's not the question we're asking we're asking the question does any of this disprove the existence of god one thing which is very difficult a lot of the time for us to get our heads around is the fact that some sickness is the result of human free will and what i would say is we don't really know how much of it is we really don't know we do know that there's a strange spike in cancer in recent in in kind of recent decades compared to the history of the world we don't necessarily know what that means but if you talk to enough people eventually you won't eat anything because everything causes cancer apparently Okay, so, you know, maybe you just have to take a gamble. But we do know th- things such as this, lung cancer in the lungs of the smoker, liver disease in the liver of the drinker, heart attacks in the obese. There is, it is true, even though it's terrible to come to grips with, that human free will does impact our bodies. And there's the other stuff that, of course, seems like it has no cause at all. I think, for, for for my personal story, this is where we fit. Why, why would my wife go into labour at twenty one weeks, with triplets? Why? That's something that I mean. For a lot of sickness, there is little things that you can kind of point to, but for that, that's just something that happens. She's had other pregnancies that have gone all the way through. In fact, she had to be induced. You know, we were like, yeah, well, okay. After going at 21 weeks, we just thought that Caitlin was going to be going early all the time, but it wasn't the case. It just seems like it's just random. It is important, though, to realise that when things seem like they have no cause, we don't know for sure that that's the case. Uh, for example, humans used to think that bleeding people was good for the sick. You know, Back in uh, medieval Renaissance days, they thought that you had too much blood. That's a crazy thing to think, too much blood. Or that there was something wrong with your blood, so we needed to take it out. And often, obviously, that would lead to people dying, but they didn't know for a while that they were the cause of the people dying because they were taking their blood out of them. And the other thing that I think is worth thinking about is, and this is a really important question, how has modernity affected our approach to sickness? What do we do these days? we feel a headache coming on? (laughs) Not even a headache, a headache coming on. We kind of know, oh, I think there's a headache coming... Let's pop a Panadol or two, yeah? We have been given through medicine and technology the incredible gift or maybe it's a gift, I don't know, of control. And what this means is that we've actually been a little bit immunized against pain and suffering. There was a time where people would have 10 children because they knew only five would survive. The first, if you have a look at the uh, mortality rates or the uh, life expectancy, they never take into account death within the first five years because if they did, the life expectancy of people four or five hundred years ago was, was tiny, was really low because it was just so difficult to get children through the first five years of life before we had science, before we had medicine. Now, I'm not saying that that's some wonderful time we want to go back to, of course not, but those people had an appreciation for life and an understanding of death which is so different to what we have now. It was a part of their existence. I, one of, I've got only one picture on my desk, maybe I should have pictures of my family but instead I have pictures of dancing skeletons for some reason but it's this thing called the dance macabre which was uh, a very popular picture that got around in the medieval times which kind of celebrated the fact that death exists and we need to be able to be happy despite of that fact. So modernity has done some strange things to us and I think we get really angry when there's things we can't control because we're really used to controlling everything. We really do live in a world where just about everything seems to be in our control now. So when something does come up that we have no control and there's no answers and the doctors have no answers, it is so devastating. And that, I think, contributes to it. All right, the last one is this, evil in humanity. My favourite author, G.K. Chesterton, well, he's right up there with Lewis, I don't know who's best, but says that man is the real wild animal. And I love that quote, because as soon as you start thinking about it, you start to realise how true it is. A dog that bites, you might go, oh, so unpredictable. No, dogs bite. That's one of the things dogs do. There's a list of about, I don't know, 20 things, but it's probably way more than that, that dogs do. Okay, but when a human bites, that's unpredictable. Okay, it would be very unpredictable for a dog to put on a suit and go and order a coffee, but a dog's never going to do that. Only humans are capable of being completely wild, completely unpredictable. The sort of man who puts on a suit and orders a coffee and then bites the person that makes the coffee, that's unpredictable. What we have in humanity is free will. Free will. Free will. Choice, this is the defining factor that separates us from animals. We get to choose what we do and with that choice, the necessary result of that is evil, okay? Now, this concept is easier to discuss than the other two. I I think it's the easiest one to kind of get God out of jail on this but it doesn't make it any less painful if it's happened to you. Humanity has free choice and this often results in evil. Now, I want to give you two examples of that, accidental evil and purposeful evil. The first example is probably never, it didn't happen and will never happen, but here it is. My free choice to love my wife could result in another woman being hurt. Obviously, another woman would have to have been in love with me at the time, uh, which is unlikely, but was my action evil? Was it an evil thing For me to love my wife and get married to her of course it wasn't but it doesn't change the fact that someone else felt hurt see suffering is a result sometimes not even of evil just of the fact that we have choice one of the most uh i I don't know i don't know what to say about it actually timely or challenging things that i've ever been told was from sondi when my wife first got pregnant she said, you, he, he, he said, uh, this is a paraphrase, he basically said something like, you've just invited pain into your life. And I mean, we didn't know how true that was. We had a miscarriage of that baby and then we lost three more that year. But to love anything is to invite suffering into your life. That's just the way it is. And the real question is, is that a risk worth taking? Well, I think it is. <laughs> I think it's a risk worth taking completely but as soon as you open yourself up to love something and to be loved by something or someone, you are inviting pain. That's part of the deal and we're going to get into what that means for God in a bit. The other type of evil is purposeful evil. Okay, A man decides to murder his boss. Are his actions evil? Yes, they are. They are evil. Who is responsible? The man. But this is the important thing either the man is responsible and is punished or God is okay if God is responsible then no one should ever be held accountable so we have this kind of thing that happens in our head when something terrible when one person does something terrible to another person we say why God rather than going up to the person and saying why person why did you do it we want to have our cake and eat it although that's a weird phrase Who's got cake and isn't eating it? I don't understand that. But we want to have it both ways, okay? We want to say, you evil person and you evil God. We can't do that. Either God did it, does everything, or the person did it. But we can't blame God for people doing things. And if we do, we can't blame the person. This kind of evil, as brutal as it is, certainly does not disprove God what it does do and what it does brilliantly effectively and terrifyingly effectively is it proves evil man's evil that he commits on someone else certainly proves evil so the big question that i've got is why do we ask why why do we ask the question why when things happen we ask this of all these types of evil but getting back to my distinction between humans and animals, this is not a question that animals ask. When the tsunami happened, 250,000 people died. The whole world knew about it. People did stuff about it. Do you remember? I remember the Boxing Day test. That's what it was all about because it was on Boxing Day. That's what the, the test was all about, raising money for it. People flew over there. People are raising millions of dollars to try to look after all of these people and these families that have lost their loved ones and lost their homes. But you know what no one said anything about the mosquitoes i would say billions of mosquitoes died and no one cared i would say probably even some very cute creatures died as well and no one cared about them either as much as the animal lovers love animals i hope and there's some that don't but i hope they love people more there is a difference between us and animals i often like to play the devil's advocate with a friend of mine who's a big animal lover and she just, you know, vegetarian and she doesn't do anything to hurt any animals but she'll squish a spider like that and I'm like, that is so biased. What have you got against the spiders? And the truth is that when we get down to it, a lot of the time we just like cute things really we, we, just, we don't like the creepy crawly things. But you know, the other thing to realise about the tsunami and the situation there is not only did we not care about the animals as much as the people, but the animals didn't care about the animals. The animals didn't raise money to look after the mosquito fund. Yeah? The, the, I don't know, I was going to say bears, but I'm pretty sure there's no bears there. I got, there might be sun bears or something, I've got no idea. But they didn't get together a press conference and say, what are we going to do about this? They just literally went about their lives. As a part of nature, nature happened and they either lived or died and they continued. Any sort, of, um, any sort of suffering that we perceived, a lot of the time is actually us kind of anthropomorphizing them, us kind of putting our humanity into them. Because they're not doing it to themselves, that's for sure. There is a huge difference between us and animals. What is it about us as humans... That drives us to ask this question of why what does it tell us about reality the question why only makes sense if there's someone to ask it to if there is no god then when we say why that thing within us that burns that question why makes no sense at all in that sense there's something within us that speaks to the existence of god the fact that we want to ask what are our options then when it comes down to it all? Okay. Um, I was going to say that contrast is a mother of all clarity. So, and, and this is from him and he kind of had these three different options as far as belief. You've got Eastern religion or philosophy, atheism and Abrahamic religions. Okay. Eastern religions would say that the way for you to escape evil and suffering, probably suffering is a better term there, is to deprive yourself of all of your natural desires. If you don't want anything, You can't ever be sad. Makes sense, doesn't it? Apparently, there's like five people in the world that have ever gotten to that point, so the odds are pretty slim. But you can see, really, there where the connection is between if you love something you're inviting suffering into your life, if you don't love anything, if you don't even love yourself or your arm or your life, then you'll never have any suffering. That's their option. Atheism. Well, atheism has the real question that they need to answer in evolutionary thinking, where do the objective realities come from? Where does this idea of evil come from at all? And in the end, if, as Richard Dawkins says, it's just blind, pitiless indifference, atoms colliding into each other, then there's no hope, there's no meaning, there's nothing. As much as you might think you're something special, you're not. You're just atoms floating around, that's all so atheism doesn't give us any hope and then finally the abrahamic religions. so that's judaism christianity islam they would say that there is a god and that he is the person who determines morality just down the bottom here i don't know if you can read it but has also made the point that it's been pointed out that the people who struggled the most to handle the horrors of auschwitz were the intellectual atheists The people who had no frame of reference to ask why. They knew God didn't exist. So they knew they had no one to ask why to. But they still asked it and it just destroyed them. The people who were able to handle it the best were the Christians and the Jews. People with a religion. People that could fit it into the world that they already understood. So, the real question we've got to ask to Stephen Fry is what has an atheist gained by not believing in God? He's, he makes this grand claim at the end. I don't know if you realize it. He kind of snuck it in right at the end. He goes, As soon as you stop believing in God, your life will be simpler, purer, and more worth living. Prove that. Prove that to me. What does an atheist gain by not believing in God? They may have gained a sense of acceptance that the world is an insane, brutal, uncaring place ruled by chance and that their greatest hope therefore becomes humanity's scientific progress. They might have gained that. It's not a very nice thing to gain, but they might have gained that. What have they lost? They've lost hope that maybe their suffering means something. Because real atheism it exists only in that you create your own meaning. So when something external happens to you that you have no control over, you have no place To define that for meaning. What have they not gained? This is the most important one. They have not gained less pain. An atheist experiences pain and evil just like everyone else. This idea that as soon as you stop believing in God, your life becomes better, I don't know where he's getting that from. That's crazy. And to prove it, let's ask the very simple question, does does atheism prevent evil? No, it doesn't. Being an atheist does not make people better. How many people have been killed in the atrocities committed by atheist dictators working towards so-called communist utopias? So these are people that have taken the work of Karl Marx and said, let's do that. 45 million people, Mao Zedong. Stalin, around 20 million people. And Pol Pot, 1.7 million people. All in the name of no God at all. Christopher Hitchens wrote a book, God is Not Good, How Religion Poisons Everything. We could easily write, just people are not good how people poison everything, really. He thinks that all, of the, major religion, all the major wars are caused by religion and he, his defence of this, when someone questioned him about this, he said, these people turned humanism into a religion. And that's the problem. They were too religious about it. I would say, we get religious because that's the way we're designed. We know that there's meaning out there. Now, getting back to my... Major point, evil only makes sense with a God. The moral argument, there is objective moral law that is not defined by humans. I already gave you an example of the fact that everyone in the world will hopefully always agree, although things that are going on in Planned Parenthood and everything make you really question this in a big way. But it's never acceptable to torture a child. The other thing you can say is, okay, what if the Nazis had won and everyone in the world had been brought up brainwashed to believe that what Hitler taught was correct in Mein Kampf, so that the Jews were evil and that the Holocaust was justified. And everyone in the world believed it, that you all believed it. Everyone, 100% of the world believed this thing. Would that make it true? No, it wouldn't. It would still be wrong. Morality is not governed by majority rules. There is something external. So, There is an objective moral law not defined by humans An objective moral law requires a moral law giver. It's got to come from somewhere. This being, this giver, must be personal in order to give and to have communication with humanity even if it's an unspoken communication into our hearts. This personal being may not be human, it can't be human, it's got to be above humanity, external. This personal being we can call God. That's the moral argument. So my point here is, when we ask the question, can God coexist with evil, the only way we can even use the word evil is if we presuppose the existence of a God. I hope that's making sense. I know it's a little bit philosophical. but Let's get back to these comments that I said we'd come back to. Maybe you've got some objections or some thoughts about what you could say to these people now. So the first one, I was raised a Catholic and had doubts ever since. It was on December 26, 2004 and I finally called myself an atheist. Remember that day of the tsunami that killed 250,000 people. Now, my first question would be, why does it become suddenly more difficult to believe in God when 250,000 people die in one day? Why has magnitude made such a difference? If this person wanted to be a brutal realist, they could realize that 250,000 people die every day for a variety of different things. So, surely the issue is not the fact that so many people died at the same time, but just the problem with death in general. And as difficult as this might be to grapple with, this is the big, this is the big thing, the, the, the crazy illogical leap that people make, it doesn't disprove God. To become an atheist because some bad things happen is to say, I used to believe in God and now I don't because some bad things happen. But bad things happening does not disprove the existence of God. It does not prove or disprove anything other than the fact that we, for some reason, perceive the death of hundreds of thousands of people as evil. Once again, show me the animal that does that or that is even aware of that. The point is we are not mere animals. What we have that makes us different points to the existence of a God, not to the non existence of a God. The fact that he's on YouTube getting upset proves God's existence rather than disproves it. Next one Stephen Fry shows a rational, honest, and moral outlook on the creator of the universe. I get to my usual question define your terms. How have you defined moral? Was it defined by society? Is it evolutionary? And then, once again, the quote from, from Richard Dawkins. This person is trying to use moral to disprove God, but Richard Dawkins acknowledges if there is no God, there is no moral in the first place. If there is a God... Okay, now, this is something else that this person said, I have a million questions for God. And I would say, if there is a God, and by God we mean a being outside of time and space who can simultaneously see and experience all things, then I think it's very likely that He will have answers for your million questions. If that's God, and God is all-knowing and all-powerful, then He's going to have the answers. You might not like the answers, but I think if God's the one telling you, I think you'll get over it. And then finally, I think this, this is the part that I found the craziest about her her comment. It was This one was a woman. She said, not cool. Should have just made our minds unable to detect right from wrong. God did that. He created animals. They are beings that cannot determine the difference between right and wrong we are different because we can the real question to ask is would you really want to be an animal if this person is asking take away my free choice take away my cognition take away my understanding of me as an individual person that's what they're saying when they say make us unable to know the difference between right and wrong it makes no sense the choice to love is the choice that we love we love our ability to love. We love our ability to be loved. But it's a choice that came with a cost. The fact that we might not make it and other people might not make it about us. And that is what you might call evil. So, can God and evil coexist? Not only can they coexist, but only the existence of a God, some kind of God actually legitimizes our claims that anything like evil even exists in the first place. Therefore, not only can God exist, but He must. In this world, the way that we see it, the fact that we all know evil and suffering, and the fact that we have a name for it, and that our very being rails against it, tells us that there is a God. Stephen Fry made five assumptions... These are the first four. First of all, he assumes that there is such a thing as evil and in this he disagrees with Dawkins. He disagrees with probably the greatest atheist alive at the moment. So if I were an atheist, I'd be going with Dawkins. Number two, he assumes that God could have created us in a different way. That we would still be who we are in a world where evil did not exist. That we would still have the same choice. Now, I'm not saying that that's necessarily untrue, but it's an assumption. He's assumed it. Number three, he assumes that if God were a loving parent, he would not create us in this world. How dare he create us in this world, he says. There's a lot of you in here that are loving parents. And you know how much suffering there is in this world. And you decided to have children because you love them. You thought it was worth it. I think it's worth it too. But you have to know that when you decide to have a child, you're going to be subscribing them to a life in which there will be some pain, there will be some suffering. But if you thought it was worth it, I think God thinks it's worth it as well. And number four, it assumes that we should know God's reason for suffering. It just assumes that if there is a reason that we should know it, And I would say, for my suffering, I actually don't want to know it. I don't think I'd be able to understand it. I don't think that my limited human mind would be able to put some sort of thing in place where losing our triplets made enough sense for me to go, okay, God, (laughs) I think one day I will understand it in heaven and it'll be when I'm not limited the way that I am at the moment with my understanding. But here's the final assumption that Stephen Fry makes. The question presupposes that God sits back and doesn't care. That's really what it's saying. God is evil, capricious, malicious, because he sits back and watches these evil things happening and doesn't care about it. But to quote Tim Keller, Jesus on the cross does not tell us what the reason is that God allows evil and suffering, but it does tell us what the reason isn't. It doesn't tell us why God has allowed it, but it certainly tells us that it's not because he doesn't care. A God that doesn't care wouldn't do what Jesus did. A God that sits back and has set up an evil world where evil things happen to people, if he didn't care, he wouldn't decide to condescend, to become a human, to allow himself to be subjected to torture, by those humans that is a god that cares it doesn't answer the question why but it does answer the question why not and it's not because he doesn't care our god is a god with scars and those scars are purely 100 percent because he loves us evil and suffering makes him just as sad and angry as it makes us I would say far more. I would say if Jesus was God and the sort of suffering that I experience is greater than the sort of suffering that my dog experiences because I'm a greater being, then I can't imagine the sort of suffering that Jesus experienced because he's that much infinitely greater than us. So yes, evil exists and suffering exists. And yes, I believe that quite logically, God exists as well. But the good news is that he doesn't not care. He cares. He cares so much that he, he subjected himself to the worst of what any of us have ever experienced as well.